that hymn that we just sang and the video you watched tie in very nicely, very connectedly with this question I have for you. What will you ask the Lord for? What will you pray to him about? And we're going to focus on the first chapter of 1 Samuel, which speaks about a special situation in a woman named Hannah. Now, Hannah's account here, it really shows us three circumstances in which God is wanting to us to know something. It's important for us to know that God remembers us. And first, God remembers us when our hearts are broken. And that's because there are times in a believer's life that you know, maybe God seems to withhold the one thing that we desire the most. For Hannah, that one thing was the dream of becoming a mother. And we learn in verses 1 and 2, which really set the scene for us, where it talks about a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. And then verse 2 says he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Well, that's a simple enough statement. But for those of you who may have had an experience like Hannah's, you know that it speaks a lot. It can be hard when, you know, for you to rejoice when a friend, a sister, or a neighbor has children, and when that blessing has been withheld from you. Imagine what it would be like to have a rival wife to deal with, like Hannah did. In Hannah's day, it was legal for a man to have more than one wife. And the inability for a wife to conceive was a good reason to have a second wife. Well, you have to wonder if Hannah had looked at Peninnah and you know, thought to herself, well, if I had been able to have children, she wouldn't be here right now. Then there were those family vacations that they would take. You know, everyone perhaps loading up into a wagon cart in those days, not a minivan. But taking that trip to a place called Shiloh, where each year there was a sacrificial festival taking place. And it says that they did this year after year. And every time it was the same thing. Hannah had to sit and watch as her husband served Peninnah and her children first. But when he came to Hannah he gave her a double portion. Maybe it was because he felt guilty. Maybe it was because he felt sorry for her sitting alone. Or maybe he wanted to show her that she was his favorite wife. Well, whatever the case was, it didn't make Hannah feel any better. If anything, it made things worse. Because Peninnah, she would be loving her children in front of Hannah, maybe with a mocking grim grin, and insulting remarks. You know, maybe she would say to her, Oh, Hannah, I know you're disappointed that you haven't been able to have any children, but dear, you know, really it's a blessing in disguise for you. I mean, after all, I have so many, and trying to figure out how we're going to feed those many boys. Verse 7 says that this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her, till Hannah wept and would not eat. And then, according to verse 8, her husband Elkanah, he steps in, and like a, a typical male way, he says this. Sorry, let me go back here. Hannah, why are you weeping? 
Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons that I have with Peninnah? Hannah probably said, well, no. Now, if I was a motivational speaker, you know, I might tell you that disappointment is just a different clothing for opportunity. Or perhaps failure, well, that's the back door to success. And if I was your father, I might tell you, well, look on the bright side. Or think of all the things you do have instead of what you don't have. Or if I was your friend, I you know, might say, well, don't give up hope. You know, keep going. And I might give you a book on infertility. But if I was God, do you know what I think I would say? If I was God, I don't think I would say anything. If I was God, I would know that these particular slogans and formulas and pat answers, that they really don't help. And that's because God knows how it feels when you have a broken heart. Believe it or not, God knows of a special pain of childlessness, in a sense here. It's a big mystery and it's hard for us to understand because there was that time when Jesus went to the cross and he carried the weight of all the sins of the world upon himself. And the Father poured out on Jesus the wrath for sin, which you and I had deserved. And for a terrible moment that carried with it the weight of all eternity, really, God the Father turned his face away from his son. He knew what it was like to lose his only son. Jesus would take on that time when he would say, Why have you forsaken me, Father or God? He was willing to do that so that God wouldn't have to lose you and me. God hasn't forgotten you when your heart is broken. He knows what it feels like to lose the thing that you desire the most. While it's a comforting thought, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, that brings us to our second circumstance. And that is that God remembers us while we are praying. It's important to know that he still remembers us while we are praying. And you see, there's a lot of ways that we could respond to disappointment. We might complain about it. You know what they say about misery. Misery loves... Yeah, a lot of you know that, huh? Well, maybe you've been with people and not maybe suffering yourself. But we know, too, that you know we can make it our mission to make everyone around us feel our pain. Or maybe do just the opposite and just clam up about it, not say anything. Now, married people know what that is like. You know, you're driving in the car with your spouse, and as you're going down the road, the the air is really tense in the car, and the windows are, like, fogging up. And uh, after a while, you can't take any more. And you you just say, well, what's wrong, honey? Nothing. And then it gets really bad, and the windows frost. And it's not even from the weather either, right? Yeah. Or maybe you want to take it out on everyone around you. So your boss yells at you at work. You go home, you yell at your spouse. Your spouse spanks the kids. The kids kick the dog. And then the dog bites the boss who came over that same evening for dinner. Well, we could say and do any of those things. But Hannah shows us a better alternative. Hannah prayed about it. 
Now, I know what you're thinking, or at least I know I, that what I think you're going to say. Oh, great. He just, you know, shared and made me reminded of a time that was a, a disappointing time in my life. And all he says is, you know, pray about it. I already know that. Well, I know you know that. And what I say to you is, pray about it. But it's the way that Hannah prayed that I want you to really notice here. In verses 9 and 10, it says, Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. And now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She prayed in bitterness of soul. She didn't hold anything back. Hannah wept and poured out her disappointment to God. But I want you to notice what Hannah did not do. She didn't complain to her husband. You know, it would have been all right if she had. I mean, after all, you know, what good are husbands for if they can't bear a little complaining now and then, right? But I think Hannah knew better. Elkanah's well-intentioned and really misguided remarks had demonstrated that he didn't understand. I think Hannah didn't complain to Elkanah because she knew that he just didn't get it. And even if he did, what could Elkanah do with her not being able to have a child? Second, you'll notice that Hannah didn't try to get back at Peninnah, although she most likely deserved that, right? Well, Hannah knew better. And the worst that Hannah could have done would not have changed the fact that Peninnah had children and Hannah did not. It would have only given Peninnah a chance to put Hannah down one more time if Hannah were to speak up against her. And it's interesting, thirdly, that Hannah didn't even complain to the priest, you know, which is just as well because it didn't take long for Eli to show that he was as ignorant to the fact that was going on as even her husband Elkanah. He was clueless. Verses 11 through 14, they talk about Hannah being deep in prayer. And she's praying to God and asking for a son. And she says, Lord, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him back to you. I'm going to dedicate him to you so that you can use him. And Eli, he's sitting in his usual spot watching her. And it says, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. And her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard by him. And Eli thought that she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk, Hannah? Get rid of your wine. How's that for pastoral compassion? Not very good, is it? Well, she's so brokenhearted that she can barely get the words out verbally. And he says, Go home and sober up. Well, I suppose he had his reasons. After all, this was a festival, and there was wine and food there, and he probably thought she's not the first drunk worshiper at the festival that he's seen. But Hannah isn't drunk, and she defends herself. She says, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. Not one of the people there was going to comfort Hannah. They weren't there to give her any sympathy. 
Not one of them understood her pain. And every single person there of those three, you know, they, they must have perhaps said something that even hurt her. But two-thirds of those three people, they did it unintentionally. Here's another hard lesson to learn from Hannah's account. You know, often the people that we expect to understand us at a time of disappointment don't. Often the people we're expected to sympath who are expected to sympathize with us, they turn away. And most of them don't have a clue that they've hurt us. You know, you expect that from your enemies, but not from your friends. Have you ever been misunderstood like Hannah? Have you ever gone to a friend, a spouse, or a pastor and you want comfort, but you find that they're too consumed with their own situations to give you that comfort? Or maybe someone will just give you a a pat answer. Perhaps it's, well, read this Bible verse, and they'll pat you on the back and send you away. Would you have become bitter like Hannah? You know, listen, if anyone might have experienced bitterness in Shiloh, it was Hannah. But something happened, and the next two verses show what really takes place of this turnaround. After Eli hears those words from Hannah, he says, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Remember back in verse 7? It said that this cycle of bitterness and the festivals, it had gone on for years, was what was written there. And what made the difference? Well, the answer is really simple. Hannah prayed. In fact, I find it striking that this is the first time that we hear Hannah's voice in this account when she's speaking to God. When everyone else seems to have forgotten Hannah, the Lord remembers her. She knows where to turn. And if you're suffering, go ahead and make some noise about that. And make sure that you include God along with those circle of others whom you might get hurt from. How do you handle bitterness that comes when your, your dreams don't come true? Hannah would say, Well, take your case to God. Give it to him. Leave it in his hands. And you don't have to try and sound holy. You don't have to hide your disappointment either before God. And when you come to worship, don't leave your troubles outside. You know, sometimes a worship leader will say that. You know, leave them outside, come here and worship God. I say bring them in. You're not going to shock God. Take those to him. This is God's house, as we say. We know that we can plead with him to intervene in our situations. And while you're at it, well, ask him for his grace so that you can wait for the moment that that may be answered. Because we know that sometimes waiting, it can be very long. And sometimes the answer is not what we've hoped for. And that's why the third circumstance is important. To know that God still remembers us after we have prayed. After those prayers have even had an answer that has come. 
We know that God remembers us even after our prayers have been answered. God answers prayers in his own way and according to his own purpose. In Hannah's case, the answer was yes. It goes on to say, early in the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, which means, because I have asked the Lord for him. The Lord remembered Hannah, and in the course of time, she conceived and gave birth. Why did it take so long for that to happen? It was because Hannah was part of a larger plan. And when you have concerns and desires of your life, and I have of mine, well, you know, sometimes we become so anxious about that that we forget that we are part of a bigger plan that God has for us and others. Why did Hannah have to wait so long? It wasn't because God was being mean to her. She may have felt that way, perhaps. It wasn't that God had forgotten, although probably there were moments where she thought, yeah, he did forget about me. And it wasn't because it wasn't time yet. And when the time was right, God moved in response to prayer of hers. In the same way, when the time is right, God's going to move in response to our prayers. But it's equally important to know that when that time is right, God will move only in a way that is consistent with his plan. And sometimes that answer, the most consistent one, may be the answer no. You're thinking, God say no to me? Think of all the people in the Bible who God said no to. Think of Moses. You know, when he asked God to allow him to go into the promised land after they're in the wilderness there, God says, no, you're going to die in the wilderness. David, you know, he pleaded for God to spare that son who he had with Bathsheba. He had that child with her in adultery. God says, no, the child died. Elijah, you know, he was growing so tired in his ministry He just wanted to die. And God said, no, Elijah. St. Paul, you know about him. He asked God to remove that thorn from his flesh three times. And God said, no. And the most striking of all was Jesus Christ. When he asked his father to take away that cup of suffering, to not have to go to the cross, God's answer was no. Sometimes, the answer is the most consistent with God's plan being no. And although it may not feel like it right now, God's no, perhaps to you and to me, may be a more loving yes. God hasn't forgotten you, even when that answer is no. We can learn a lot from this account regarding Hannah, and especially about the importance of going to our Lord in prayer. Remember this, in his own time, in his own way, for our good and for his glory, God will remember you. And the peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us, for calling us to be your very own. 
And Lord, we ask you to be with us in times of rejoicing and also in times of need, in times of comfort. Whatever it is, Lord, we know you're there. You hear us and you answer us according to your will. So bless us, Lord. May we also pray for others whom we know have so many special needs. May those prayers be answered for them and may they know the source of who gives them the ultimate power and strength and peace and joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.